on June 1, 2019 at the annual meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention, Resolution 9 on critical race theory and intersectionality was passed. This resolution has raised a lot of discussion, and I'll just read a few lines from the resolution as we begin to talk about these ideas of critical race theory and intersectionality. Critical race theory is a set of analytical tools that explain how race has and continues to function in society, and intersectionality is the study of how different personal characteristics overlap and inform one's experience. Critical race theory and intersectionality have been appropriated by individuals with worldviews that are contrary to the Christian faith, resulting in ideologies and methods that contradict scripture. And evangelical scholars who affirm the authority and sufficiency of scripture have employed selective insights from critical race theory and intersectionality to understand multifaceted social dynamics. Well, as we talk about these things, I've asked Rich Penix, who's been on this podcast before, to join us as we think about these ideas. And I've also asked Mike Moses from Michigan. He's a pastor at Harvest Bible Church in the Detroit area in Westland, Michigan, to talk to us. He's written an article called Privilege, Oppression, and the Gospel, a Biblical Response to Intersectionality. So Mike and Rich, thank you for being willing to join us here today. I want to just start by asking you, Mike, what is critical race theory and intersectionality? Uh, This resolution mentioned critical race theory and, and defined it a little bit, but maybe you can fill in the lines of both of these a little bit more for us. Yeah, absolutely. Well, critical race theory and intersectionality, I think, are more known by most people by their effects and not so much by the actual name of the theories. Um, I think these items are being talked about so much right now because there have been years of uh, teaching, uh, specifically in high schools and universities, um, by those trained in critical race theory and intersectionality. And in recent years, and this year especially, I would say, we we see it bearing fruit in many different ways in our culture. Um, If you've ever been uh, told to check your privilege, if you've ever heard that you're um, you're racist to some extent just by being white, even if you're a really nice person and you don't think you're racist, you are just because you're white. If you've been told that or that's been implied, that's a fruit. You hear about microaggressions and safe spaces. Cancel culture is a big deal right now. If you hear that Christianity is oppressive, um, if you um, are being told to try to sympathize with and understand those who are are looting um, private property, if you are being told that it's a good thing uh, to tear down the systems of white supremacy, um, those are all fruits of critical race theory and, and intersectionality. Um, Now, where did these things come from? Um, Well, they're very closely related, these two ideas, critical race theory and intersectionality. In fact, intersectionality was directly born out of critical race theory, um, which is actually one of many critical theories. Um, And critical theories flow from both postmodernism, particularly in its subjective approach to reality, um, and also in its cynicism. Um, It also flows from cultural Marxism, specifically the the cultural Marxism of the Frankfurt School, um, particularly in the way that it sees society through a framework of power and oppression. 
Um, and so critical race theory sees Western culture, including American culture, um, and especially its capitalist economics, it sees Western culture as racist to the core. Um, it sees white supremacist racism as a pervasive and permanent feature of our society. So, uh, for example, according to critical race theory, um, as I mentioned before, even nice white people are racist because they benefit from white supremacist systems and also they carry hidden biases of which they may not even be aware. Um, and so in this in this view, uh, white racism is so pervasive that it affects every situation and every relationship. For example, Robin DiAngelo says it's, it's not a question of if racism is present in a situation, but in what way racism is manifesting. And so it's critical in the sense that it is always problematizing any situation, any policy, any relationship, any statement. It is it is critical. <laughs> That's a key word to critical theory in general and critical race theory specifically. Uh, for example, I, I was just reading um, some Thomas Sowell yesterday, and he talked about uh, the fact that after the Civil War, you had a number of teachers from New England who actually moved down south to start schools and educate the children of former slaves, which I think many people would applaud and say that's a great thing, and it really was beneficial um, for these children. Um, but someone like Ibram Kendi would criticize that as assimilationist, mm -hmm. that all these white people are doing is trying to assimilate these, these black children into white culture and white ways of thinking and white priorities, and that's actually a version of colonizing. Mm -hmm. so, so everything is problematized, even things that most people would say are actually kind acts, <laughs> generous acts, merciful acts. Um, that's, that's critical race theory and, and some of the effects. Um, intersectionality flows from critical race theory and from feminism. In fact, it, it began as an examination of how um, black women may experience what is called a matrix of oppressions. Sometimes the oppression may be due to racism. Sometimes the oppression may be due to sexism. Sometimes it may be due to a unique combination of both. And so now that it, it began as a pretty interesting study. Um, I'll say it is, it is good to think through how a couple of different factors in your life or your societal identity um, may uh, may influence how you're treated. Um, that is a good study, I would say, how it began. But the problem is pretty quickly, um, and this isn't, isn't something that was added on much later, this is something that came from the originators of intersectionality, primarily Kimberly Crenshaw. They very soon added intersectional lanes for LGBT individuals, um, for the poor, for immigrants, for disabled. Uh, but there's a category, religious minorities, that's part of intersectionality. That means if you're not a Christian, you're oppressed in a certain way. Um, it even includes categories that really are kind of a reach, not conventionally attractive is, is, a, is an oppressed category. So I guess there's one at least that I can claim <laughs> because I'm certainly not conventionally attractive. Um, but, but more and more of these intersectional lanes of oppression have been added. And, and there's actually motivation to claim these oppressions because the more oppressions you can claim, the more authoritative your perspective becomes in the world of critical theory. I mentioned before the subjective nature and, and, and this 
these ideas coming from postmodern thought. And, and so there's something called standpoint epistemology, where you can only know certain things if you're oppressed. And the more you're oppressed, the more you can know, therefore, the more authoritative your voice becomes. Hmm. Um, now, this is a pretty selective list of oppressions. Um, no intersectional um, theorist will talk about how oppressed you may be if you are fatherless, for example. Even though statistically speaking, that's a pretty difficult thing to um, to have to endure. Uh, certainly, the unborn are not included as as an oppressed identity group, um, despite the unborn genocide. And so, it's a very very selective. And what you realize is that this isn't about actual oppression and the actual difficulties that people certainly may face in a, in a very sinful world. Um, it's about a, a progressive agenda. And, and so oppressed groups unite to oppose what is called the power hegemony created by straight, white, able-bodied, cisgender men. The idea of intersectionality is that critical race theory and other critical theories are going to combine to oppose the power hegemony. Um, so it, you have someone like Ibram Kendi saying we cannot be anti-racist if we are homophobic or transphobic. It's all one one combined uh, strategy. So uh, those are critical race theory and intersectionality. I hope I haven't given too much information on that, but but hopefully that's helpful to, as an introduction for someone who may not be familiar with these ideas. I, I think that's really helpful, and I think it illustrates some of the complexity of these things, that it, it requires that level of explanation to even talk about it. Um, I, and, and I think it's important to point out that it's not just Christians who are evaluating CRT, critical race theory, in this way. I listened to a, a podcast by a guy named Cal Newport he called Deep Habits or something like that, and, and he was talking about his experience both in college and in his position as a professor where critical race theory is a dominant thing that if you don't accept, you're sort of pushed to the fringes. Um, Absolutely. Which is an interesting reality with this matrix of oppression and and power that, that you've been describing here that's really at the focus of this. Um, mm. So I, I guess, and, and Rich, jump in here where you want, but I, I'm curious, after looking at this, it, it seems like we we don't really have a clear definition of critical race theory. And I read a textbook on critical race theory this week trying to to kind of wrap my mind around this, and, and it wasn't mm. quite clear there either. And so your comment about it, we see it by its results, not its definition. Mm. Um, what, mm. what is the end result or what is the aim or objective of critical race theorists and, and those subscribing to intersectionality to solve the problems that, that they're identifying whether or not we agree with with their identification of those problems. Yeah, yeah, that's a really excellent question because I, I think it may depend on which critical race theorist or intersectional theorist you read. Um, some will say that the aim is simply to join in that Marxian power struggle and recognize this is always going to be a feature of human society, and so just jump into the power struggle and and you know play your part and do the best you can for your identity group. Others would have more 
utopian ideals and, and truly believe that they could build um, an equitable society where everybody, you know, no matter their identity is treated absolutely fairly uh, and equally, which of course sounds, it sounds good. You know, we know that that's unrealistic <laughs> until Christ returns. Although certainly as Christians, we do want to be agents for good and for justice. The problem is how those things are defined. Uh, what is justice biblically defined? What is good biblically defined? And 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 what you'll see is that um, the, the very definitions of those things are very, very different between biblical Christians and between most critical race theorists and, and intersectional theorists. Um, so um, one short-term goal uh, specifically that, that critical race theory is working toward, it's all about policies, all about policies. Um, I, I very recently read um, How to Be an Anti-Racist by Abram Kendi, um, which is a very fascinating book for a number of reasons, very frustrating book for a number of reasons. But for him, it is all about policy. And for him, any policy that does not lead to equal outcomes um, between different identity groups is a, an oppressive or a racist policy. And so he basically will say all cultures are equal. And so if there's any inequity between cultural groups or identity groups, it's because of racist or oppressive policy. So the policy needs to be changed. And he's pretty um, – he doesn't believe they'll be changed in a Republican Democratic constitutional system. Mm -hmm. And so his, his aims are totalitarian. He, he thinks this needs to be forced um, mm. uh, politically. Yeah, and, and that fits well with the – idea in the movement of critical race theory is that I was quoting from a book called Critical Race Theory and Introduction, and mm -hmm. the authors write, unlike traditional civil rights discourse, which stresses incrementalism and step-by-step -step progress, critical mm -hmm. race theory questions the very foundation of the liberal order, including equality theory, legal reasoning, enlightenment rationalism, and neutral principles of constitutional law. And, and mm -hmm. so it seems that someone who would espouse critical race theory has to then say we need to essentially revolt against everything that's here because it's to its core imbibed with racism and and whatever other problems have been identified and mm -hmm. and so I think that's that's why it's such a big conversation cool. here and in once it, it makes me want to ask how are Christians utilizing critical race theory as an analytical tool? because it seems that critical race theory is not intended simply to be an analytical tool, but a, a revolutionary mechanism. Yeah, absolutely. Well, no, I fully agree with you on that. Absolutely. Uh, you read the, the Southern Baptist uh, resolution, um, which was quite controversial and for good reason. Um, it really does portray critical race theory and intersectionality very positively. Um, although acknowledging, I, I believe the word is it's been appropriated um, by unbelievers and those with godless mm -hmm. agendas. Well, it hasn't been appropriated. Mm -hmm. That's simply not true. It originated from godless philosophies and secular agendas. Um, it, it's it's not guilt by association. It's guilt by origination. I mentioned the postmodernism, the culture of Marxism. I'm not just saying those things as as bogeymen. 
to, to make people scared of it. Like if you read critical race theorists, if you read intersectional theorists, they will proudly claim a heritage of postmodernism and cultural Marxism. And so uh, to say these are simply neutral analytical tools that have been sometimes wrongly appropriated is, is simply, simply not accurate. Um, I, you know, when I hear about an anal analytical tool, I'm thinking, well, this would be something that deals with objectivity. This is something that would deal with evidence. But critical race theory and intersectionality, by their very nature, operate subjectively with the only authoritative source being the lived experience of those in oppressed identity groups. Um, and so I, I, I just don't see these things as being able to be used neutrally as analytical tools. Um, now, certainly there, there is great value, and I think we need to understand, for example, the history of racism in Western culture and in America. We need to understand those things and acknowledge those things. And if there are any remaining policies or practices that objectively discriminate against ethnic minorities, they absolutely should be changed. But you can do that. In fact, I would say you can do that better without critical race theory. There is value in, in understanding how various identities may affect someone's life experience. Think about the Samaritan woman in John 4. If you're preaching that passage, you're going to talk about the fact that she's a woman and that meant certain things in, in her day. She's a Samaritan and that meant certain things in her day. Uh, she was likely lower class and that meant certain things in her day. It's it, You can understand those things and there's value in that, but you can actually do that better without intersectionality because it's not meant to be a neutral analytical tool it's meant to be a change agent i mean all you need to do and, and you quoted from i, I believe delgado and stefan's chich mm -hmm. is that the, the book that you're you're reading and, and yes. i've read it from ibram kendi and robin d'angelo and kimberly crenshaw and patricia hill collins mm -hmm. all you need to do is read the, the primary sources and it is clear that these folks do not intend for these theories to simply be neutral analytical tools whereby we may better sympathize with others and work toward objective justice. They, they intend for their theories to be used as sociopolitical change agents. And, and one reason that I think it's important to warn Christians about these ideologies is they are coming after Christians. Not not just white people, not just men, not even just straight cisgender people. They're coming after Christians. If you read Vivian May, for example, who's a leading intersectional theorist, she will say that intersectionality is not meant to advocate for black women who are conservative Bible-believing Christians. Why? Mm. Well, because they support heteronormative patriarchy. Mm. In other words, if you believe homosexuality is a sin, and if you believe that men should be leaders in the home and in the church, you are guilty of heteronormative patriarchy. So even if you're a black woman who intersectionality supposedly was originated to advocate for and protect, no, your, your intersectionality is not meant to be used by you. Um, another example would be uh, reading uh, Robin D'Angelo. She said, um, you know, one of the ways that white supremacy has been exported throughout the world um, is through Christian missionaries. And what they're doing is colonizing the minds of, of people in, in different places around the world. And, and that's how white supremacy is exported. Well, so if you're... <laughs> 
<laughs> if you believe the Bible, if you believe the gospel should go out to people groups who haven't heard it yet, um, then within this worldview, you're you're going to be attacked, and you're going to be opposed. And so, um, I, I don't I don't think it's a good thing for Christians to uh, to appropriate. Um, I, I do suppose on 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 in one sense that that tool might be a fitting metaphor. Uh, have you ever heard the saying, when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I think that's an appropriate saying when it comes to critical race theory and intersectionality. They, they, they have one tool in their toolbox, not the tool of economics, not the tool of mm-hmm. objective science, not the tool of evidence-based justice, not the tool of biblical theology. The only tool they have is a framework of power and oppression. And when that's the only tool you have, everything looks like white supremacy and racism. So, um, so Mike, if I'm understanding you correctly, there, there's a, really a, a person could fit the sociological and even physiological categories. Like you said, like the, the minority uh, woman who kind of checks all the, the boxes that would typically <clears throat> fit into the intersexual matrix but then if she believes in things like heteronormativity and things like that, she, mm-hmm. it's really about convincing a belief system uh, rather than truly advocating because of those, those mm-hmm. very things. Like if you believe this, you're automatically cut down and, and removed. And so that strikes me as less about the, the reality of the person um, and more about really driving home the, the belief structure of it all. Yes, that is absolutely the case. Um, This goes back to not long ago, Joe Biden got in some trouble for saying, you know, if you're black and you don't Mm -hmm. vote for me, you're not really black. Well, that kind of thinking is pervasive in critical race theory. It's not really about your skin color. It's Mm -hmm. not really about whether you're a man or a woman. Mm -hmm. It's about the, the ideas. And if, and if you don't buy into the progressive leftist ideas, then you're, you're cut out. You're, you're just, um, you're guilty of false consciousness. You're, you've got Stockholm syndrome and and your opinion doesn't count. Mm -hmm. I, I want to turn the conversation a bit here to the way that the acceptance of critical race theory impacts even the way that one might read the Bible. And so, um, in, in college, I was an English major and we read this book called Literary Criticism by Charles Bressler. It outlined in a lot of approaches to literature, and we would have to read a book and evaluate it from that angle. And, and so as I was thinking about how one who accepts CRT might read the Bible, I was thinking about the book of Ruth. And I think most Christians read the book of Ruth and look at Boaz as a really, really good guy. Um, but given the, the information we've talked about today, from a critical race theory perspective, I think we would look at Boaz and say that racism pervades everything. There's a young Moabite woman. He's an older mm-hmm. dude in power who mm-hmm. takes mm-hmm. advantage of her. And even if he did something good for her that would provide for her mother and others, that's just a result of interest convergence where it actually benefits him more because he'll get some land. And it's not actually solving a problem, but it's actually just further oppressing them. Um, And and so really, 
whatever good Boaz does, because as, as we all know now, there's a lack of empathy in the world. It's only to serve his own purposes. We should read mm-hmm. the story of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz is a story of oppression in one place mm-hmm. to oppression mm-hmm. in another that's even worse. Um, mm-hmm. Because it's not just famine and hard times and death, but it, uh-huh. it's actually someone in power oppressing this mm-hmm. minority. Uh-huh. Is that right? And, yeah. and is that yeah. is that way off track of how some may be reading this story and others? I think of you know Abraham is maybe mm-hmm. one of the best examples of this powerful uh, man, um, and and so maybe you can talk to us about the way that this would influence the church at large mm-hmm. if this is adopted wholesale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think you said something very, very insightful there when it comes to the story of Ruth. I, I think you're spot on. Um, I really do think, and I, and I hope I'm not overstating things here or being pejorative, but once once you start imbibing this way of thinking, it poisons everything you see. It really does. Um, problematizing is it's not a bug, it's a feature. And so the example you gave where you might go to the book of Ruth and problematize Boaz, um, I, that's very easy for me to imagine, um, very easy for me to see how someone would reinterpret the story in that way. Because, again, if all you have is a framework of power and oppression, then everyone with power is suspect. Mm-hmm. You can just write it off as privilege. They're definitely corrupt and have terrible motivations, whether or not you can actually prove that. And I could even see, I don't, I don't think it's a stretch even that someone could go to the story of Ruth and say what Boaz did there was actually uh, a form of rape mm-hmm. because he won this woman over only through his power. And, and you know, even if he didn't physically force himself, in fact, we see the opposite in the text that, you know, because of the power structures going on, that was completely inappropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, I, I think that's an excellent example you've given. And and I think, you know, we, we hear Ruth saying things, you know, like asking Naomi, can, can I go out and reap in the field of someone in whose eyes I find favor in, in mm-hmm. all of these things that the, the Bible just portrays as, is perhaps normal and, and sometimes even good as you, as we look at mm-hmm. some of these Old Testament laws supporting it. It, it seems to me that if we are forced to choose between the, the way the Bible talks about things and affirming positively what later New Testament authors <coughs> affirm in those texts and critical race theory, the, the two just can't go together in the long run. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and it's not just about the individual passages, although you're absolutely right. You know, the story of Ruth is a great example. But, but there's also the overarching, um, overarching biblical doctrines that are very much affected by this and, and very much in contradiction. Um, I, I would consider critical theory in general to be a heresy when it comes to the biblical doctrines of man and, and sin. Um, I mean, you, you, you both are very aware that the Christian belief is that all humans are made in God's image, and therefore each one um, has great dignity because of that, and yet also all humans are fallen into sin. 
and so each one um, uh, is is a sinner, and that manifests in various ways. Well, in in the critical race theory intersectionality worldview, humans are seen as either inherently corrupt oppressors or inherently innocent oppressed, mm. simply based on group identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and and especially when it comes to intersectionality. The, um, <laughs> there is a mashing together of various characteristics, some of which are inherent, like your race or your gender, although they would say that your gender may change. But um, mm-hmm. uh, so, so some are inherent, some are some are chosen, some are neutral, some are sinful. Uh, of course, we wouldn't say that it's sinful to be a man or a woman biblically, although we would recognize that the Bible has different roles for for men or women. Um, We would say it is sinful to actively identify and act out um, homosexuality or to change your gender identity. Um, And so mashing together all these different characteristics is a really um, insidious thing. Let me just give you an example. Maybe this will make it more concrete. Um, I could make one sinful choice, which would be to identify as a woman. And by making that one sinful choice, I would actually pick up three intersectionality points of oppression. Mm -hmm. Um, I would now be a woman, so I'd be oppressed in that way. I would be transgender, so I'd be oppressed in that way. And I'm assuming I would still be attracted to my wife, so that would make me lesbian, I believe. One sinful choice would make me pick up three categories of oppression. I could make another sinful choice, which would be to convert to Islam or Wicca or whatever, and that would give me a fourth category of oppression because I'm now a religious minority. So I hope just by giving that example, folks can see um, the problem here with with the intersectional way of viewing the world. Yeah, and and I think really with the, that first choice, you you really would fall into a fourth category if you're at a church that exercises church discipline over such things, because then then you'd also be oppressed by this kind of um, conservative Christianity. Absolutely, absolutely, yep. Absolutely. So, Rich, uh, I'll, I'll ask you, and, and we can keep talking here, but as, as we're talking about critical race theory and intersectionality in, in the Bible's picture of man and sin, I mean, what what hope and what what view does the Bible help us have as we try to work through these true issues of slavery in America and, and racial ideas and others? How how does the Bible provide something better than critical race theory? Well, even even prior to that, sometimes I think just a, a Christian who's trying to live biblical wisdom out. So much of Scripture, um, you know, the wisdom literature is to render us complete, the complete person as God intends, living under the fear of the Lord. And this gives us a certain categories of of what some Christians will just say are sort of common sense, that we've lost that entire category, even of just sensibilities, the kind of um, ways the book of James talks about, the sin of preferentiality and and, uh, preferring one another over. This this has been biblical before it's been, you know, needed in the last, whatever, 40 years or so, um, to revolutionize our, our, you know, to, to... 
to make us woke to these these new concepts. This has been just wisdom living as far as understanding, like like Mike mentioned earlier, uh, the 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 different ways in which people do uh, fatherlessness or or otherwise. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so I think th- there is a a suffi- if we believe in the sufficiency of the scriptures. Um, mm-hmm. We know that we have all that we need to walk in wisdom before the Lord, to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God, um, and that that has been historically consistent for all the people of God in all places at all times. The the, the amount of word that had been given to them at that particular time was sufficient to to love their neighbors uh, appropriately. I mean, this is this is as as old as. Um, you know God's God's commands um, under the old covenants, and so I, you know, I'm I'm always going to to rest as that bedrock foundation that in in all my relationships and all my treatment of humanity, the scriptures have it all. They they say it all, and while you know newer, um, you know I, I I don't know how much you know, scripture is. You know we know that it doesn't speak precisely to modern uh, twists and turns of the ways in which uh, we contort and distort our bodies, and transgenderism wasn't even a concept um, envisioned probably <laughs> at all, and, and yet we find ourselves facing new—I uh, don't think we have to come up with new um, interpretive lenses to even have a category for how to relate to someone like that. Um, <clears throat> to the degree that I might uh, be a awaken to the, the complexities of suffering, um, there may be a, a, an, an, a layer of helpfulness as that is brought to the surface, but I would never say I need it uh, or that I have to depend upon it. I, I have all that I need in the, in the scriptures. But mm. Mm. Amen to that. Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned scripture sufficiency. I, I, that is so key right now. Um, in in recent years, recent decades, I should say, evangelicals have fought battles over the Bible's inerrancy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the battle now is is about the Bible's sufficiency. Mm-hmm. Do do we need sociological tools in order to do what the Bible calls us to do? Um, and I do think if, if there's anything positive about critical race theory and intersectionality and other related critical theories, um, it's that these things can serve as a reminder that there are some very important things the Bible calls us to. Sure. Um, the Bible calls us to respect all people um, as made in the image of God. Uh, the idea of human dignity and individual rights comes from the Judeo-Christian worldview and from the, mm-hmm. the concept of the Imago Dei. Um, we can be reminded of the importance of justice, although we want to define that biblically and not as as um, critical theory would define it. Uh, sympathy for others uh, is very, very important. But I think even though we can be reminded of the importance of those things, we have to go to Scripture to define and implement these things. Um, and and we, we, we really don't need sociology books in order to love our neighbor. Scripture really is sufficient for that. Amen. Yeah, I, I am thankful for the way that the Bible gives us 
a window to interpret the events of humanity and who we are and and what we need for salvation and a salvation that's offered to everyone. I think as you've talked about mm-hmm. the intersectionality in the way you can either slip in or out of the right boxes just very quickly, mm-hmm. there's there's help only for the, the few that, that check the right boxes. And so I'm reminded mm. of the words of Christ who is saying, all should come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and mm. I'll give you rest. And and I think Amen. that's a bit of a different message than that of critical race theory and intersectionality, um, mm. who at least pretend to be speaking to the weary and heavy laden. Um, Only a particular type of weary and heavy laden are welcome. And so I think the the Bible is much more convincing to me as as I read read it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, we we know we sin happens. Sin happens all the time. Oppression happens, but Jesus is a better savior than intersectionality. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm so glad you you quoted that scripture and, and and drew our attention to that because many are observing, even many non-believers are observing that that really critical theory and intersectionality have many characteristics of a new religion. Mm-hmm. Um, identity group power is is the original sin. Wokeness is conversion. Confession is checking your privilege. And and the good works to which we are called are progressive intersectional politics. But but the thing that this new religion is lacking is grace. It's it's lacking forgiveness. It's lacking a savior. And so what you're left with as you're left with in all false religions is a tedious, exhausting legalism. When I read White Fragility by Robin DiAngelo, that's the thing that struck me. How tedious, how exhausting her checklist of ways to avoid microaggressions. Um, Jesus is a better savior and he's a better guide uh, to loving your neighbor. We, we have mentioned and talked about the fact that critical race theory is essentially more caught than taught. It is taught, of course, everywhere uh, in, in universities and such, but it's caught by people in, in the way conversations happen in, in the larger culture. And so I imagine that Christians almost unknowingly at times can start to grab onto these ideas. And, and so as we think about life in a covenant community as a church, how how should Christians who disagree about the use of critical race theory and intersectionality or, or Christians who are hate everything about CRT and, and Christians who like some of the ideas or all of the ideas, how should they relate? Um, should, should we just be happy to disagree? Should we divide over these things? Is, is there church discipline over these things? Is um, is an adoption of a, a different way of salvation, really? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think you're right that some Christians have um, imbibed um, these worldly arguments naively because on the surface they seem to be all about compassion and justice, mm-hmm. which Christians are supposed to be for, right? So it's important to show that, no, these things are based on godless philosophies and are actually redefining compassion and justice. And I would recommend in conversation with a Christian or with, with anybody really, but especially with a Christian who seems to be imbibing these things, 
you really want to define terms and concepts very carefully and very clearly so that you're not talking past each other, right? Um, and, and assume the best about motives. Probably a fellow Christian is thinking that it's compassionate to, to think in these ways. So, and so so define terms and concepts very carefully. And, and really, um, even going beyond that, my recommendation would be to use biblical terms and concepts as much as possible when it comes to these conversations. Um, the definition of racism is completely different than it was even a couple of decades ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that can be confusing because someone will say, you know, you're racist. No, I'm not racist. And they could be meaning two totally different things by that same word. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think Rich mentioned this earlier, but I would prefer to just use the biblical word partiality. Mm-hmm. Um, that to me clarifies the issue and, and keeps it centered on scripture. Mm-hmm. I don't actually prefer to use the word race. I prefer the word ethnicity. That's a more mm-hmm. biblical term and a biblical concept. Mm-hmm. Even even if there is a biblical term used like the word justice, I want to understand, well, what kind of justice is being referred to? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to use the idea of oppression to refer to actual events or practices or policies, not just to refer to entire identity groups groups that are seen as oppressed. Um, so the, the, the idea is to really bring it back to Scripture and, and to uphold and insist on biblical standards of justice and wisdom. Um, one of the really, I think, insidious things as well that's being said even by uh, many Christians who, who have imbibed these views is that you cannot critique other cultures, Mm -hmm. that cultures are all equally good. Mm. Well, I don't think, I really don't think you want to say that because, for example, you really want to say that about Civil War era Southern America. Are you going to say that that culture shouldn't be critiqued according to biblical standards of justice and wisdom? Well, if you can allow that that culture could be critiqued, then you can allow that any culture may be critiqued. Just go to the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs has some things to say about family, about good leadership, about um, sexual practices, about financial practices, about hard work. Um, Those are objective, timeless, biblical standards of justice and wisdom that we can apply first to ourselves, of course, and to our churches, but to any culture. Um, And and that's really, I think, treating people with dignity to say in in criticizing a culture or a way of thinking or a cultural practice, we're actually giving you the dignity to know that we believe you can be better by a biblical standard Um, and and we're not going to make excuses for behavior that falls short of, of a biblical standard. Think about the way that Jesus approached that Samaritan woman in John 4. Um, yes, she could be considered intersectionally oppressed for a number of different reasons, and Jesus did set a great example in talking to her when many other people wouldn't have. Mm-hmm. But, but think about the way he treated her with dignity by not ignoring her sin. Mm-hmm. He, he addressed her sin. Yeah. He needed to, and he graciously revealed himself to her as the Messiah and the Savior. And so that, that to me, that's very, very instructive that, yes, we should approach people, talk to them with dignity, not push anybody away, mm-hmm. but but also um, 
tell them the truth and, and don't just sugarcoat everything and pander because they happen to, to be in what is seen as an oppressed category. Yeah, that's beautiful. He, he not only meets her, you know, where she is, but he's calling her to be a worshiper of the one true God mm-hmm. uh, about why looking her sin straight, straight on. I think that's really important what you said earlier too, Mike, about the uh, defining terms. It's, if there's ever been a, a time, it feels like it's now where just words that we thought we agreed on are, are being used in such different ways. I remember reading a, a book recently that was sort of becoming popular and they defined racism right out of the gates as prejudice plus power equals racism mm-hmm. or alternatively a system of oppression based on race. And then the mm-hmm. case began to be made throughout the book. And I realized this, this cannot, this definition, uh, one can only be guilty of racism if you are in, you know, the 51% or whatever, if you are mm-hmm. in a place of, of power or majority um, it just cannot be a sin that is committed by anyone who is, uh, you know, does not hold a certain kind of subjective power. And I thought mm-hmm. that is that is not at all how the Bible would understand, um, you know, the, the racism um, or, or ethnic partiality can can happen uh, in any yeah. way. The sufferer has to watch for that as well, that it doesn't boil within them and, and, and kill them from the inside yeah. out. But yeah, very, very important, absolutely. I think, even in shepherding and working through folks that are either confused or becoming increasingly activist-oriented, uh, where you know they're, they're kind of taking up the mantle of the cause of disintegrating the system or, or, uh, or whatever to slowly help uh, work through that. I think that's a good word. Yeah, absolutely. I am really glad that you, you clarified that sort of modern definition of racism because that does lead to a lot of confusion <laughs> for people who mm-hmm. don't know that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and again there, I think going back to Scripture can be so helpful because Scripture does address not only partiality, but it does address the corruption of power. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, there are absolutely people in power, in authority, who can mm-hmm. abuse that power. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we want to acknowledge that biblically. Right. But we we want to understand that according to a biblical standard and not always mash together the idea of corrupt power and and partiality. Um, Otherwise, we're not actually – and here's the real real problem. Um, The thing that really is heartbreaking, when when everything is seen as oppression, then actual – cases of oppression are less likely to get the attention that they need. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's still slavery going on in our world today, but some of the same people who are always reminding us of, of the history of slavery in America never talk about mm-hmm. modern-day slavery that's going on in the Middle East. Um, so there, there's true oppression that in our world that is very sinful and very broken that should be addressed but critical race theory and intersectionality actually distract us mm. by creating these forms of pseudo oppression um and 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 really incentivizing uh claiming victimhood status mm. rather than dealing with actual oppression and actual injustice that's a great point well, as, as we come to a close here, I just want to ask if you guys have any resources or, or recommendations for people in our church as, as we keep trying to keep 
think through these things that would help us better understand critical race theory, intersectionality, and, and how we should think about it and, and relate to those who, who are driving this movement forward? Yeah, absolutely. I have a number of resources I've written down here. Um, I, I think one name that I, I'm, I'm thankful has, has gotten a lot of attention recently is Neil Shenvi, uh, Neil, um, S-H-E-N-V-I. And he does a lot of um, work with another man named Pat Sawyer. Um, and a lot of this work can be found at shenviapologetics.com. Um, it, it's interesting that even over the past few days, I've seen Shenvi takes some criticism from people, um, not over the actual arguments he's making and, and not over the revealing of primary sources of critical race theory and intersectionality. No one's actually addressing the substance of what he's saying. They're just saying he's not allowed to speak about these things because he lacks their credentials. Um, and, and when you have someone's credentials being attacked, it's usually because they're making some really strong points that mm -hmm. can't be refuted. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so um, he's doing like a great job and he's a very gracious man, but very, very clear about the danger of critical race theory and intersectionality. And he has read all the primary sources. I mean, I've read some of the primary sources. He has read all the primary sources. Um, and he knows that straight from the mouths and pens of critical race theorists and intersectional theorists, um, exactly what they're saying and, and, and just how it, um, it contradicts scripture in so many ways. Um, I would recommend as well, am I allowed to recommend another podcast on a podcast? I don't know if that's bad form. Sure. Yeah, um, it, not bad form for this podcast. Maybe actual podcast it is, but uh, this one's fine. Well, I, I would definitely recommend the Just Thinking podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, two men, Daryl Harrison and Virgil Walker, uh, the Just Thinking podcast, um, do a tremendous job talking about these issues, not only conceptually, but in how we see them in our society. Um, really appreciate those men. Mm -hmm. um, there haven't been a whole lot of books published, unfortunately, that I could recommend. I hope there are more. Uh, Founders Ministries recently published a book called By What Standard? God's World, God's Rules. And it's actually a compilation of a number of different authors, um, Tom Askell, Vody Balcom, uh, Tim and Klein, a uh, number of uh, writers addressing various aspects of critical theory and how that relates to the church. Um, that's certainly a book I would recommend. Oaten Strayan recently did a series of, of uh, talks at, uh, at Redeemer Bible Church called Christianity and Wokeness. And uh, I would recommend those as well. Owen Strain is a, is a really good voice, um, uh, Christian voice on these issues. Um, if you want to read some non-Christians, in fact, some, some liberal atheists who do a really good job critiquing critical theory, uh, Helen Pluckrose and James Lindsay uh, have a new book out called Cynical Theories. And um, these, these writers are not Christians um, by any stretch of the imagination, but they, from a position of, of the political left, are critiquing the radical left mm -hmm. and, and showing the ways that it goes astray from, from classical liberalism and violating free speech right. and, and objective mm -hmm. science and, and the correspondence theory of truth. So they've, they've done a great job with that. Um, I, the last book I would recommend, if I may, um, is, a, is an excellent book by Nancy Piercy called Love Thy Body. Mm -hmm. Now, this mm -hmm. book doesn't specifically address critical race theory or even intersectionality per se, but, but as I mentioned, these things are, I consider them to be heresies when it comes to the biblical subjects of mankind and sin. 
And what Piercy does is she writes on a number of topics related to mankind and sin and does a tremendous job going into the topic of abortion, the topic of hookup culture, the topic of homosexuality, the topic of transgenderism, euthanasia, and really deals with them in a very sound biblical way, sound philosophical way. Um, and it's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful resource. It's a book I, I recommend even to high schoolers um, and college students all the time, um, and a book that I think would equip those in, in, in your churches very, very well, um, just in, in being aware of the way that biblical, uh, the biblical theology of mankind and sin um, is, is really the issue of our day. Um, in the Reformation time, it was justification. Um, in some of the early church councils, it was the doctrine of the Trinity. The heresy of our day has to do with the doctrine of man and sin. And, and Nancy Piercy's book is, is really uh, tremendously uh, written and, and is very practical to equip those who want to think clearly on these topics. Yeah, I, I heartily rec- recommend alongside with you Piercy's book, Love Thy Body. And, and I think if out of any of the resources that were just mentioned, that might be the best one because I, I think it, it provides a biblical way of thinking about the body. And and um, so I, I heartily recommend that. And, and I would caveat maybe the Founders Ministries in Owen Stray- Strahan. And, and Owen Strahan, Dr. Strahan is a professor at my seminary, so I don't want to say anything Excellent. bad here. But I, I think that those, both of those groups are probably people who you wouldn't send their writings to someone who's inclined to disagree with them. I, I think they're really helpful for those of us who are trying to work through it or, or, <laughs> or maybe inclined to agree with them. I think they're maybe a little bit like Doug Wilson that way, where sure. really potent, really clear, but but also might be a bit of a, a turnoff if, if you send them to someone who's been is convinced of the opposite view. Uh, but yeah. still, I think helpful resources for our church members as, as we try to think through these things. Absolutely. Rich, did you have any recommendations that you'd, you'd like to mention here? You know, I wouldn't mention a whole lot more than what was already said. I think there's, for me, it's just always a, a changing lineup of podcasts that I find <laughs> that are helpful. And I think one recently, uh, even Al Moeller had in his Thinking in Public uh, podcast was, was with uh, Glenn Lowry, Race, mm-hmm. Inequality, Cultural Crisis, and Courage. Very insightful, coming at a little bit different angle. Um, he's obviously not coming from the same perspective as Moeller, but speaking in different aspects, but still challenging just the, the culture and the, the prevalence of uh, victimology and how that uh, distorts and, and harms um, those that are actual victims and then providing any meaningful good solutions. So, yeah, thank you, Mike, so much. Very, very helpful. Yeah, thank you, well, you ver- Mike. We, we appreciate this. This is wonderful. Thanks, thanks so much for having me. I hope it's a genuine help to your listening audience, and and uh, really, most importantly, that it would draw draw all of us back to the sufficiency of Scripture and, and the grace of Christ. And uh, if 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 the the listening audience hears nothing else, I hope they they hear that Scripture is sufficient, and that Christ is gracious, and Amen. that He is a, a better Savior. Well, let's, let's keep thinking about these things and as we encounter these ideas, asking where they're coming from and where they're leading us to. And as we've talked about these ideas of oppression and who we are and what the future should be, I just want to read from Revelation 1, 5, and 6, this great doxology. To him who loves us and has set us free from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. 
To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. This podcast is a ministry of Crystal Lake Baptist Church in Burnsville, Minnesota. You can learn more at www.coblcmn.org.